0: Bits and Pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be.
1: Servus, everyone. This is Britta Wedling, and you're listening to the Bits and Pretzels podcast. My guest today is a remarkable founder, and he has a remarkable story to tell. The story about how he set out to unite some 130 scientists, technologists and experts from eight European countries in a single but likely life-saving quest. How we can use smartphones to help break COVID-19 infection
0: chains. We started it when there was only a few cases in Germany and everything looked like it could be managed. Um, And we figured that a lot of people would not really... Think about exponential curves, um, which they are all thinking about now at the time. And this is why we started fairly early um, and why now we're in a position that might be ahead of, of a few other people. Chris
1: Bose is a household name for anyone even just remotely interested in artificial intelligence in Europe. He is the founder of Arago, a firm that aims to provide companies with AI to automate urgent but low-value routine tasks and help them to free up time for their staff to do more rewarding and challenging innovation work. He is a pioneer in AI and a visionary as well, and something like the godfather of AI in Germany. As a member of Germany's Digital Council, he advises the government and has now launched an initiative he calls PEPPT, which stands for Pan-European Privacy Preserving Proximity Tracing. While that may sound like trying to speak through a knot in your mouth, the idea is pretty simple, to create a tracing app that guarantees to protect your privacy. The PEPPT app is a technology solution that was designed only five weeks ago as a truly European effort. However, instead of being launched any day now, a number of prestigious supporters have withdrawn from the project over the last few days. You started working on your papPT platform five weeks ago. And from what you've said earlier, I was pretty much ready to launch uh, last week. In the beginning, it seemed like everyone wanted to cooperate and be part of it. Now the supporters are kind of breaking away. There was initially talk of 130 partners. How many left? What happened there and why?
0: There was talk of um, 130 people involved in it. And there's actually more people than that still, because most of the uh, guys that had their logo removed from the webpage did not actually work on the topic. They just surfed the wave uh, and now very publicly disserved the wave. Um, (laughs) uh, On top of that, the people who are working on it are still the same. Um, The productive team that left uh, is the ones that that are publishing a decentralized communication approach for tracing. I think the the challenge here was that there, there's this typical crypto fight that's been going on for many years in the community, decentralized and centralized models. I strongly believe, and that's also the position of PEPPT, that technology entity like PEPPT needs to offer both models because uh, a government needs to choose which model better suits their way of managing the pandemic. And that's in the end uh, what it's all about. And both models can uh, uh, enforce privacy. And that's that's what we need. A distributed model is even better at enforcing privacy than a centralized model, right? That is that is totally correct. But I think a centralized model has advantages, at least so the epidemiologists say, um, in, in various countries. And this is precisely why I believe we need to offer both models.
1: So did this discussion around decentralized versus centralized model, did this come up earlier in the discussion or like, you know, what kind of happened that everything's like, you know in 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 the debate right now did you did you discuss this before and said well yeah there are like good arguments for both sides and but now we go for the centralized one or was this kind of a surprising development for you talk like about the situation here
0: the discussion internally has also been gone on and i think that's the right place to have it right because it's a discussion and a fight between scientists and i don't think they can uh, ever console it um but, but it's a, it's a good way because if, when scientists discuss, typically things improve. But still, I, I think that the idea that there only should be one model is simply incorrect. Who are technologists to choose what type of pandemic management uh, system a government should be building? It has to be choice of the government. And yes, we've had this, this discussion internally before and it lived under one roof. Um, and if if one of these parties has the attitude that only one model uh, should prevail and that that's a problem right and and sometimes all everybody was was religious about it um, but I've always said that we need to offer the choice because as technologists we simply should not make that choice for governments.
1: Okay before we go into more details let's first explain how your PEPT platform was supposed to help governments design their own app. As far as I understand it traces how much time individuals spend close to each other and it alerts people if they have been close to a COVID-19 positive person so they should get tested. So, so talk about you know how this all came to be and what the, the basic idea of this app was before
0: so let me bring two things uh, that that you just said is a it's still supposed to do that um and uh and there's quite a bit of of uh speed in it right despite the public debate and i think it's it's very irresponsible but i'll get to that in a second the the second uh, one is that um the, the whole idea is that you have an app that understands how close you are or your telephone is to someone else for how long. And if that that closeness, that proximity goes into a range that is epidemiologically relevant, it records this contact and it all has to be anonymized, right? So the the principle should be that only you as a person can reveal your real identity to someone else. May that be a doctor or health authorities or whatever.
1: so So what got people so upset? I mean, there are allegations um, over the weekend that your favorite version is not compliant with true data privacy uh, and data privacy and privacy protection. Your suggestions was also to have anonymous data being centrally stored. You critics would others say, oh, we want some decentralized storage system. so so how do you comment on that? So what happened there?
0: I don't have a favorite model. There's a model that the German Center for Disease Control uh, selected that they wanted so they can run their things on, which is a more which, is... which is a more centralized model. And they've got re- good reason for that because the type of simulations they use, but you've got to ask them, right? Is I'm not uh, a doctor, but the type of simulations they use show that this way, by running it this way, they can send way fewer people uh, into quarantine which I think a lot of people would like, uh, while putting no one extra at risk. And that's, that's I think, worthwhile, right? So, um, but it's still privacy preserving in both ways. I think that all these allegations, right, which is, this is a competition on which is the better crypto. Um, and I would absolutely say decentralized is the better crypto. That's not the question. The question is, is it good enough crypto so priv- privacy gets preserved? And it is unless you distrust uh, the central server. And if you distrust the central server that could be run by an independent entity or by the government in a a legitimized democracy, you might have a problem. If you distrust the central server in a um, totalitarian government, um, then you're right to do so. But the point is those guys would never allow you to run a decentralized system.
1: (laughs) Right. No, no. people give personal data away every day in a huge amount, whether it's uh, by the pre-installed health apps on your smartphone, your map app, smart speaker, Amazon account, and literally hundreds of other apps uh, where data is usually goes to Apple, uh, Google, and Amazon. So, w- what's the outrage now?
0: Exactly. <laughs> you just made my point. I don't think there's anything to add to that, the way you were asked the question. Exactly. <laughs> That's, that's exactly the point
1: so, so how do you personally how do you personally feel about all of that I mean you invested some of your own money a, a quite a lot of effort you worked on this you you talked about you know how many hours you spent uh, on on the on the project how, how do you feel personally a, about all of that
0: well I mean the Currently, we see that the people who build apps on this want to deploy the app. So I am I am happy about that. I am absolutely unhappy about all these personal allegations that come on Twitter. And I don't even know these people. I've never met them. They don't know me. They've never spoken to me. Um, uh, I, I, that just disappoints me personally. I think it's very disappointing. Um, especially, it's very easy to, to make all these criticisms about transparency and whatnot from the sidelines. Um, if you've been working hard to produce a solution... Um, then maybe you put the solution first and then take care of the organization. I agree. This All this transparency has to happen before anything goes online. Um, but uh, maybe the solution is more important. We are all pressed for time, right? We all want to go back out. Our economies need the workforce back. They need the customers back. Um, and that that's the point. But the, the last one that I'm, that's personal and I'm disappointed. Um, what really pisses me off is the irresponsibility of taking a a computer science religious fight in a, to the public sphere, where the the basic idea needs to be: Can we trust a system like this? Any any which system in a democratic state, uh, and then have a discussion on what is acceptable in terms of of privacy and what is not acceptable in terms of privacy Um, because every country might see that differently. And that's the trust discussion that we should have instead of technologists trying to tell the world how to run uh, countries. I'm very disappointed because this, this killed so much trust. It's very sad. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to need quite a while to recover trust in the apps because that's what it's all about, right? To have a discussion where in the end, we're, we're fairly certain that the apps that are built um, are, are trustworthy, no matter which underlying crypto. I mean, a centralized and a decentralized approach can guarantee, can enforce the privacy standards of, of uh, the EU. And I think it's it's really, really important that we get over this discussion and actually discuss if there's a version A and a version B, which is fine, Right? What are the the social implications? What are the economical implications? What what does this mean from an ethical point of view? How can we, um, what what does it mean privacy wise, um, when we know who who are who are infected people and all this? This is the discussion I expected. Right? I mean, this is also why. Sorry if I keep. I mean, this is also why, um, I uh, thought that that something like Pep needed to go online way before the apps. Um, because the apps don 't need this discussion, right the discussion needs to go over, and then uh the apps come out, and all they need to do is convince users um, that they are good apps and not have a privacy discussion because we need many people to 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 use them if not many people use them uh, a the entire effort was was uh well not for now because any little help, every bit bit helps right but if not many people use them, then we 're still going to live with very strong restrictions, and that 's not good for anyone.
1: I mean, what it comes down is basically, who do you trust with your data? The state or the government or a tech company in Silicon Valley, right? That's basically the underlying question here.
0: I can tell you from my perspective, I am living in a country that has a legitimized government. Whether I agree with the government or not, it's not really a question. They have been elected, right? That's the way we do it in democracies. Um, And they run the health system. So when I get sick, I expect them to help me. Um, Why would I not trust that? Like, how can I... And what's the legitimization of uh, companies? Like, where does that come from? How can... But I'm not talking about... What's the legitimization of technologists to tell the world how it should work?
1: Is this maybe in some way very German, maybe a national characteristic where caution always prevails over progress and maybe even over European cooperation in technology? Because, I mean we all need a solution for the upcoming situation when we all want to leave our home offices again, right? And, you don't know, have like a public life again.
0: I, I like what you're saying, but I think this has nothing to do with the Germans or, or the Europeans. I think this has something to do with computer science, right? In computer science, we, we have many funny religious conflicts. One is which text editor use, VI or Emacs, right? So... These, these people won't talk to each other because they use the wrong text editor. And, and I'm joking, right? So it's uh, and, and centralized or decentralized is one of those very old discussions. And it's a computer science thing that, that is there. And it's actually a good discussion because it has improved the decentralized and decentralized algorithms over many years now. Um, I don't think we can solve the discussion now. It's been going on for too long and we don't have to solve it because both systems offer a good level of security.
1: What do you think? What will become of this project now? Is Germany's concern over data protection about to kill the project? Would Germany rather continue to remain in lockup? Or what do you think it's supposed to happen now?
0: Um, Well, if if you've looked at the various statements made by uh, uh, economical players, but also by ethical uh, players, you'll see that you, you see that they all say we is exactly what we need. We need privacy preservation. We need it pan-European um, or international, uh, and we don't need uh, to focus on just crypto. We need to focus on what's the best epidemic, the best pandemic management um, with a good with the best crypto, right? That's that's what needs to be focused on, and and I think that. Uh, after you've thought about it, and I know there's a, there's, a, like, there's a news kick to it, right? Where, wow, these people leave and the other ones, and, and then there are, there are strange people involved and I don't know what. Um, once you sit down and think about it, I think a lot of people come to these conclusions and so do countries.
1: But, but what do we think about, you know, the, the ongoing of this project? Do you think it's, this discussion is about to kill the project?
0: I don't think so. Look, I mean, I'm doing this for free and I'm doing it um, with a lot of time and quite a, quite a few of our people. Um, and and um, basically, do we want an app or no, right? Or do other countries want an app or no? So th- this is these are the questions and I think we do want them.
1: Is there anything you would have done differently looking backwards? Anything over, like communicating with the community? Anything you would have done in a different way?
0: Um... Yeah, I think in the end, I've learned that that governance and communication processes have priority over solution, which is actually a sad, um which is actually a sad thing, because I think the solution is more important here. But following that campaign, I have to say, if I ever do this again, which I hope I don't have to. Um, it, I would slow it down by first putting governance and, and communications in place.
1: What would be your suggestion toward restoring confidence in a tracking or tracing uh, platform? Should it expire automatically? Should Parliament reconsider every six months if it should remain operational? Should there be a non governmental supervisory board? What kind of ideas? could probably restore confidence.
0: I think all this needs, needs to be open for for public scrutiny, right? The code which needs to be open sourced and audited and all that stuff. But also but also the should this remain online or offline? I think once a pandemic, you you don't want to cancel it completely, right? Because it could be very useful if another pandemic comes. But you definitely don't want to collect data when there is no pandemic. Right. So that definitely should should be uh, a question of parliament or government or organized, but it should be in the public eye that you don't collect anything when there's no pandemic to manage.
1: What are the next steps for you? Will there ever be a uh, Peppity-based app? Uh, Will there ever be any app? Will will the app be ready to be launched anytime soon?
0: Why are you so pessimistic? I mean, Ferrari is already running uh, the test app for Italy on Peppity uh, basis, right? So there is. Um, there's no reason to be pessimistic. It's coming, uh, and if if uh, if we dismantle PEP PT right now, then you just wait another six weeks, right? Right. So um, and someone else will build it. But if we want it sooner, then that's what we've got uh, in multiple countries. And I've heard from other countries too that people say, like, okay, if you if you don't take this religion out, we're out of it, uh, and then they all start from scratch. How about that? Like, is that responsible acting?
1: So now we move over to our beer garden bench to get a little more personal, which, of course, in these times is a virtual beer garden bench. So you've got to imagine uh, we are in a Bavarian beer garden, having a couple of stains in front of us so we can toast each other. Cheers.
0: Well, cheerio then. Um I'm the total fan of Bavarian beer gardens right so <laughs> you'll, you'll get that right and I, I also enjoy the talk I mean you know me it's someone who's being straight out so I don't know how this conversation will be very different unless we get very drunk.
1: <laughs> okay how has corona affected your personal life?
0: Uh, I'm locked up in front of a computer 20 hours a day it feels like I'm, I'm 12 years old again.
1: <laughs> what was the exact moment when you decided you will try to launch
0: your project? It was a conversation that we had in the Health Innovation Hub in Berlin. Uh, the same afternoon, we were met at the, um, between uh, Thomas Weigand from, from Fraunhofer HHI. Uh, uh, the same day in the afternoon, we met at, um, at the Robert Koch Institute. The next day, we had the guys from Switzerland on board. Uh, then we had people from Italy. And it was just amazing. Um, it happened so quickly and the conversation was like something is coming we need to be prepared
1: have you been involved in that kind of tracing technology before or did it just make sense because of your ai background or you know the fact that you're part of the digital council of, of the german government what's the backstory
0: here well, I I would say being part of the Digital Council of the German government helped of getting things like the Bundeswehr tests done, right? I mean, uh, calling up the army and asking, hey, can you test stuff for us? Um, I guess other people could have done that too, but it might have taken a little bit longer. And personally, I was totally surprised. Within hours, the guy said yes, and everything was done. I mean… I, I am so amazed of, of the things that are possible, right? When you listen to the German uh, narrative normally, uh, nothing ever happens at the German army. They mm-hmm. are doing it within hours. And the guys were there voluntarily, immediately. Amazing. The whole command structures and the soldiers, awesome. Like, I'm totally impressed. Um, and of course, that made it easier. But other than that, and on the AI side, it was very clear um, how... That the system of the infection is so complex that you would most likely need AI uh, to compute risk scores, and that is what is happening now. Um, that that is certainly there. I have never done uh, contact tracing before. Like the last time I've done something on uh, on electrical engineering was in my basement, right? So it's, there's really. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are experts for that, right? And that's the good part.
1: But I mean, you started programming, you said, when you were 12. And one of your jobs was risk modeling at, at Dresdner Bank. So do you remember how you got fascinated with this whole AI stuff, which was probably not called AI at the time, um, to start with?
0: Well, I I was looking for an interesting problem when I got involved with AI, right? So, and uh, risk modeling is generally something interesting. I believe that our society for a long time is is so much into safety um, and secure zones and all that type of stuff. What makes life worth living is that there's always a risk. There's a risk of being alone. There's a risk of dying, becoming sick, um, not meeting the person you want to meet. And what there's all these risks. And we have kind of taken the risk out of life. We, we've been trying to make life risk-free. The risk of disagreeing with someone, and so you'd have a verbal fight with them, um, that we try to avoid in the last few years. And now we are managing a risk that is actually life-threatening. And all of a sudden, we learn how to deal with risk again. And people are oddly enough way more energetic um and are much more driven by hope now and before i feel a lot of people were driven much more by fear
1: and i think you enjoy these you know small moments of your life more so you know the moment you know on on a weekend when you can go outside and you know enjoy the sun and you know probably have a virtual talk with your family i think it's you know, at the time when we have to deal with all these insecurities, we focus more on, you know, what really counts um, in in our lives, right?
0: Well, I've heard that many times, right? That a lot of people are now reconsidering what really counts. That's a good thing, right? I would say that being a cog in a a machine, um, that is how a lot of people felt now, A lot of people all of a sudden get credit that we just took for granted, like healthcare workers and like uh, uh, people in the supermarket and so on. All of a sudden, we know how important they are. And it's not that there is not a single group of people that are important. I think that everybody has something to contribute. And um, we're just learning that this is so true that there's no one more important than the other one.
1: (laughs) And you're wildly considered one of the most important pioneers and the visionary in the field of uh, artificial intelligence. And you love to talk about it and you do it with passion. You can really feel when you talk to you that there's a lot of interest and passion. Why is AI so important to you? Like personal speaking, what's kind of like the inspiration
0: for you? I believe AI is going to make us so much more human, right? In in our entire wealth and the working of our industrial societies is based on economies of scale. And the result of that is the higher the development of a society today, um, the more we force people to work like machines, because in order to work with economies of scales, right, you have to be entirely predictable. Uh, If you're not predictable, we have to introduce quality assurance and and all these type of processes. Um, We are we are forcing people to work like machines and people are not built for that. It doesn't make us happy. If you look at the things that that make people happy, uh, they have nothing to do like working with like a machine. It's putting a smile on someone else's face. That makes you happy. Or achieving something um, that has not been done before or that you have not done before. That makes you happy. How, and doing the same thing over and over again, even if it's intellectually challenging uh, and even if it has slight varieties... That is not what really matters, and I think that AI should be doing all of that, all of the things that we already have experience on, and it should be our job to spread joy. It sounds pathetic, but I, I really, I'm, I'm serious about this. We have to have much more interhuman contact and much more interhuman joy. Number one, spread joy, and number two. Um, create new experience. Because if we can give the experience to AI, AI can use it maybe also to build solution, new solutions to problem that we haven't think, thought of. Um, but the AI can't make the experience for us. And I think that's, if you look at yourself, right? If you remember yourself, like what, what are the moments you really enjoyed most? Those are typically when you made a memory. And that means you created a new experience, something that stands out for you personally. It can be something very simple, but it stands out for you. And that's what it's about. And AI should do the rest. We can become much more human if we let the AI do the jobs that machines should be doing. We shouldn't make people work like machines.
1: In your talks, you always put people first. What are the most important people in your life?
0: <laughs> I think that's totally debatable. <laughs> I think if you ask, uh, uh, look, I haven't spoken to my dad in a week um, and I should do that. Um it is totally crazy. But right now, I'm talking to so many people um, on an hourly basis, 20 hours a day, just so we can get this tracing stuff done. Um, I, I'm one of those people who who gets completely absorbed by a project. So um, I think a lot of people around me um, maybe suffer because I, I do this and I'm very sorry for for doing this. Um, but uh, also it means that we get stuff done and I think this is good so we can get it over with and I can uh, go back to um, uh, the Munich Beer Garden and have another of beer.
1: That was the perfect And to this part of the conversation, I wanted to come back uh, in the last part of this conversation to some business talk uh, because we didn't get the chance to talk about Arago and the state of AI in Germany and Europe uh, vis-a-vis the rest of the world. Arago's mission is to help businesses with their knowledge automation. Mm -hmm. What exactly does this mean and how automated is Germany in comparison to the US and to China?
0: I think none of those economies is really automated yet, right? Um, the difference why we think that the US is far ahead is because the US has these platform companies uh, um, and China has these platform companies, but the rest of the economy is still pretty much industrial in the US and in China. Um, so there, this is very comparable. The only thing we don't have in Europe is the platform companies. And I think that's, of course, sad um, and we should fix it. Uh, and in the US, by the way, with Microsoft, we have the only company that managed to convert from an old style company to a platform company, which which was a great way of, of how management could have done that. The old management under uh, uh, Bill Gates and, and Steve Ballmer to to the new management with Satya Nadella who've, who've done this, right? It's amazing, but we're missing it in Europe completely. Mm-hmm. But A- what AI actually brings to the table is not the part of about platform companies. What AI brings to the table here is that um, we are now able to automate everything. Um, and that is the mission of, of Arago, right? Help people take their experiences and their knowledge and automate the things not according to the industrial principle where you first have to standardize, consolidate, and then find a solution, but actually use the experience that people have gathered to find a solution for a specific problem, right? This is really important.
1: People are often scared when they talk about AI and you've dealt with this fear and you talked about this fear, um, for like many times and for a long time. Is it just fear of the unknown? Do you see any changes in this regard? Do you see the debate or like feelings shifting right now?
0: Um, well, yes and no. Right. So, um, the the fear that I see is is totally irrational, right? People are afraid that machines might um, surpass us. I think that's the whole point why we built machines in the first place. You don't want to be a crane, right? You don't you don't want to be a forklift as your profession. Like that's why we built these machines. Um, and what we feel about uh, strangely now is that AI maybe does um, is stronger in things that normally only happen in our heads. Um, but imagine like my grandma thought flying in an airplane was a strange thing um and for us it's totally natural right so whenever something changes we find that weird um I think that that really is a, a problem and then of course um, we have all these imaginations about what if an AI becomes self-conscious um that's right. really an interesting question and it has been dealt with a lot of uh, in, in a lot of science fiction books hmm. but speaking of Today's technology, there, there's no indication of how an AI could become self-conscious. And that's not the topic. The topic about AI is automation. And then when you talk about automation, people obviously talk about job loss, and that makes them fear uh, AI. But look, um, <laughs> how, I how, think- could I, how could I say this? The whole question of losing all our jobs, like that's that's what often comes up. That's irrational too, right? Because if machines did everything that we were doing, and there would be no jobs left. That means that today we do everything that is necessary. If you have the impression that we're already doing everything that is necessary, you must be stone drunk.
1: <laughs> you know, you you must have had too many Bavarian beer steams. A lot uh, of them. Like 10 or something. You know what I think, you know, when I look at this debate, I mean, it's not only the people on the streets talking about how, you know, robots might, you know, walk down streets and kill us all. It's also like the guys in Silicon Valley who I dealt with like for the last five years, right? Like Elon Musk and Bill Gates, yeah, all kind of pushing this, uh this kind of thoughts uh out there. Musk talking about how dangerous robots can be and, and Bill Gates and others as well. I think like, you know, in terms of how they should, think and deal with the situation. I feel that there have to be more responsibility on their side to set expectations for you know, the rest of the population who probably doesn't know so much about technology
0: straight. That's so, yeah, is how I feel. <laughs> you're putting a funny uh, smile on my face here, right? Because uh, in Elon Musk's case, you, you have to look at um, what he's saying about the risks um, and then also what what he's investing into. And you'll see a lot of AI that he's investing right. in, I would figure. Um, Bill Gates is much more succinct, like was Stephen Hawkins who said, like AI could be the greatest or the worst invention that, that mm. we take um but that's because like a lot of other inventions that we made it makes our, ourselves multiply something that has been um linear before and that i think is very important because of course you can do a lot of very bad things with ai that is absolutely undoubtable but if if um as long as an ai does not have self awareness that means that people are doing it they're just doing it much faster and much more efficient than they could have done without an AI. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not AIs that are dangerous. It's people that are dangerous. And this is why we have to make sure that um, we focus on people, on everything. Right.
1: Coming, coming back to the corona situation. So how do you look at how corona could uh, speed up uh, the digitization of, of Germany? Do you see any developments there?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we can see it at Arago is all of a sudden people who before were asking, oh, can we do a pilot to convince ourselves that AI really works? Um, they are now in a position that like, can we get this done right now because we need it because our people are at home? So, um, yeah, definitely. That is a push for AI in um, in many processes.
1: Where will we be digitally speaking 10 years from now? Will we finally be a force to reckon with when it comes to digital or will it just be a quaint open-air museum with lots of castles that Chinese tourists come to admire for its past glory?
0: So I have always been optimistic about uh, Europe and Germany um, because we have so much knowledge and we just have to play the cards right. Um, I think f- this crisis actually um, forces us to finally get off, off the chair and do something and we're doing it. So I think my, my optimism has increased a lot.
1: So finally, how effective will your platform be in containing Corona in Germany?
0: Seriously, you'll have to ask an epidemiologist on this. You can, by the way, only say this word when you had two steins of beer. Um, (laughs) I really don't want to comment on that because I think there's way too many people having an opinion on uh, what is going on. And what I can tell you is that this type of platform will give governments and epidemiologists the necessary tool set to manage the pandemic very effectively so that a lot of us can go out and have a semi-normal life very quickly because if we would have had these type of platforms in January we would not have had a lockdown
1: Chris Bose, thanks for coming on the Bits and Pieces podcast
0: I love it and when we're out again um, I'll buy you that beer
1: <laughs> okay cool. <good. laughs> All right. That was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your feedback and your thoughts. Please write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com if you want to suggest who we should interview next time. Stay safe, stay healthy. See you next week.